Welcome back to the Movement Performance Podcast. And as always with me today is Jess. Jess, how you doing? Good. It's Halloween. Looking forward to leftover candy. How about you? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going out with the kids tonight. Um, one is being a classic princess, my youngest, yeah. Belle. And my oldest is being a pug vampire, which is... I want to see the pictures of that. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Last year, my, my oldest was a princess. Um, she was like Elsa or something. And then my youngest was like a fairy donkey. So they, they kind of flipped roles in their blended costumes this year. That's so hilarious. Yeah, they're, they're, they're super cute. Um, but, uh, I mean, Halloween and the temps are starting to dip, which is which is fun. So Yeah, it's snowed in Quebec a little bit already. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, know, yeah I know in the mountains, like out west, I was just talking to a guy this afternoon, and he's kind of North California, Utah, uh, between the two, and there's there's... You know, they're already getting snow. He's been out for a ski tour already, which is oh, cool. Oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, with that being said, hopefully, you know, all our listeners have already been kind of deep into their preseason training for the for the ski and snowboard season. Um, and what we're going to chat a little bit about today is, is more what that transition to the in-season training program looks like and some of the discussions around, like, you know, what that looks like, what the goals are, um, you know, what some of the considerations around that might be. And then a few of kind of the <clears throat> kind of basic structures of what, what some of the in-season programs that, that we use look like. Yeah. I find um, preseason, everyone's super dialed. And I feel like this, like the in-season part is where we can see like a lot of improvement, but it's a lot harder to do with moving around. Yeah, totally. With like, yeah, changing locations and access to equipment and, um, you know, even just I so often hear um, the concern that they're adding more um, fatigue to an already fatigued system. And there there is something to that. Right. But, um, you know, that kind of gets at what are the goals Mm -hmm. of your um, in-season program and like what are your goals within the season even right yeah so yeah i feel like the biggest reserve i see is people are worried they'll be sore as well yeah so we'll talk about that a little bit too yeah totally <clears throat> um it's funny you say that everyone's dialed for the preseason i uh i think <laughs> I, I i think that can be a, a miss, missing piece at times as well but that is true. um at least as far as like when people get started you know like i see a lot of people getting started on their preseason training sort of like now because it's snow starting to fall and but it's kind of intermittent still but they're like oh yeah i gotta get my legs ready or whatever (laughs) um but for for me like the best time to start is like you know end of august september sort of thing but you know for a lot of uh you know outdoor athletes um who maybe cross disciplines um that's kind of prime time for for climbing projects as well right so um you know anytime is a good time to start your preseason training um better late than never right (laughs) yeah totally um well i mean so generally speaking when you're looking at an in-season program what what are your goals like what are your goals when you're setting up a an in-season program um usually i'll look like there's a bunch of factors i'll take into account but like the two main areas i'll hit are just like maintaining strength um and that'll vary based on the athlete but there's a few key areas i feel like we all try and hit so with skiers and snowboarders you're getting a ton of quad burn in um so i'll often focus a little bit on hamstrings yeah Um, 
for sure. Like in, in season hamstrings are kind of like, um, low hanging fruit as far as, um, an area that you can be putting a little bit of training load into without over taxing the system. Yeah. Right. Um, because more often than not, yeah, we're, we're looking at fairly quad dominant, um, activities for sure. Um, so from a strength maintenance perspective, that's definitely like an easy piece. Um, you know, and then what else are you looking at? Usually like mobility work as well. Um, okay. that's super important even for injury risk, right? If your body's comfortable getting into these weird positions or like end ranges at different areas, you're less likely to get injured when you end up there by accident. <laughs> are we talking about tomahawks and such? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. So m- mobility work. Um, another piece for me is like, um, kind of accessory strength, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I guess hamstring kind of falls into that category. Um, but this could also be, um, kind of accessory work for either past or active injuries that we're dealing with. Right. Um, and so that's often a a bit of what the in season, um, off mountain training piece looks like. Um, and then of course the biggest one for me, and I think that the piece that people don't often think about is the potential for, um, an, an in gym training program to actually support recovery. Um, you kind of referenced earlier that like people often think of training as adding to the kind of external stress burden, mm-hmm. right? That they already maybe feel like there's too much stress. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think if like when it's done properly, um, and you've had previous training experience, this is where like, so like a low hanging fruit that people don't realize how much it can actually help their soreness as opposed to make it worse. Totally. And I think you brought up a really important point there, which is, um, the, prior training history right Mm -hmm. um so if somebody hadn't been doing a preseason training program um in particular or doesn't have much of a strength training background it can be tough to do the type of workout that actually is supportive of recovery without causing soreness right but in someone who's conditioned you can do a workout that is actually very supportive of recovery through kind of stimulating our nervous system and our hormonal system to help facilitate recovery and reduce soreness and improve our um, maintenance of strength and reduce our injury risk. Um, but uh, that that training background or that preseason work yeah. <laughs> really comes into play. <laughs> I think the, the key thing to remember there is if you've ever like not gone to the gym for like a couple of months and then you go try and do a workout how you feel after like it's guaranteed to hurt totally yeah and and for far less volume than than you know a trained conditioned yeah. body would would respond to for sure um so should we talk about some of the other things we'd consider yeah i mean we kind of referenced a little bit about like you know the idea of like active or prior injuries so why don't you talk a little bit about some like prior injuries and what that what that might yeah, might look sure. like or how that might influence the goals of of in season training? So I think uh, one of the common injuries I see with like skiers or snowboarders is like a previous knee injury, whether that be like ACL, MCL, MCL, or a combination. Sorry, meniscus, like any combo of those. Um, throughout the season, 
there's a lot of impact through that area. So if you're not maintaining the strength of both your hamstrings and your quads, that's just going to get continuously worse all season. So it seems counterintuitive to be strengthening those areas or putting more load through your knee during the season, but like maintaining that strength is like exceptionally important for those individuals. Yeah, totally. And so I I think something that we need to kind of bring up right now, which is like around the idea, like with the basic principles of, of strength and conditioning is when people are, you know, uh, skiing or snowboarding very often, it's a muscular endurance task, Mm -hmm. right? They're, you know, sustained descents or, um, high power tasks. Right. And so, um, the type of strength training that I'm a huge advocate for in that sort of situation, like in like that, um, you know, ACL injury history, um, proper strength training program are things like eccentric isometrics and like limited range, heavy load, um, sort of work that's, that's truly working in the strength range and not necessarily putting a lot of tax on the joints themselves. Cause as mm-hmm. you referenced, um, you know, very often the, the joints are taking, taking a beating through the season. Yeah. Right. Um, and so modifying the range of motion, playing a little bit with tempo, um, is a way that we can, keep the tissues strong like the muscles strong to kind of build that splint build that strut or that bridge across the joint and um you know keep the knee in this example feeling stronger and better throughout the entire season yeah definitely yeah um is there any other injuries you can think of that you'd like to touch on i mean i i think i think a big one that kind of goes down a slightly different route is uh is kind of chronic naggy low back pain right Mm -hmm. um it's the one that i really commonly see especially in like um more the endurance snow sport type people like uh you know if we're if we're talking like um like touring athletes or guides and stuff like that people who are on their feet for super long periods of time um you know the nature of of touring and and that sort of um you know outing is that it's it's very hip flexion dominant there's a lot of like Mm -hmm you know, hip flexor activation and kind of long quad activation. And so we tend to see a lot of like shortening through the front of the hip and through the hip capsule. Um, and what that can lead to is, is actually extension over extension of your back and some extra compression through that area. Um, that albeit maybe isn't super impactful from a performance or a, um, you know, activity perspective. Um, is just one of those niggly things that's just like it just rags on right so if we can focus on a good quality mobility program that's addressing um your particular restrictions um that's part of an in-season training program that i think and really all season round but um you know with that higher volume kind of marching in the mountains Mm -hmm. and breaking trail in deep snow and stuff (laughs) like that um can can definitely bias or bias us towards like tightening up through that anterior chain yeah um should we move on to like why like what else we would train with those individuals now that we're talking like more the endurance snow athlete like where else we would go with them with their training program yeah totally that's actually that's a great uh great call so you know again in those in those endurance athletes aside aside from like maybe trying to stay on top of any sort of um uh, mobility stuff that that might be playing a role 
Um, I often hear, especially in like, you know, guides and stuff like that, people who are putting like long hours in, um, you know, that they start to feel less like poppy throughout mm-hmm. the season. They might start their because they did a good preseason program. They might um, feel like, you know, powerful and poppy at the beginning of the season. And then just as, you know, uh, four or five, six, seven day stretches kind of start stacking on top of each other. Yeah. Um, they just, they're just feeling burnt, burnt out, um, and less poppy. And, um, what I've found to be really effective in these types of athletes is to keep their nervous system firing with like, um, high intensity, low volume plyometrics. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the volume would vary by, by athlete, but you know, that could be like, you know, depth jumps or some, you know, loaded vertical jumps or, um, you know, there's any number of great, great options out there. But, um, I've found in that type of athlete, um, that sort of program to be really effective. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think even incorporating some BFR with them for recovery would also work out really well. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And we've, we've talked a bit about BFR a number of times on here, but, um, you know, even, even getting that into two times a week doing like, you know, just even on like a, you know, a, a river walk in the, in the valley <laughs> or something like that, you know, um, for like five, 10 minutes is a great way to sort of get that stimulus in while you're doing something else. It's not adding another thing to your list. You just got to strap it on, crank it up and go for a little saunter. <laughs> right. Um, but that's, that's a, that's a great call. And I, I think that that goes for, um, any athlete really in, um, across sports, um, in high volume periods of the year, um, BFR is a really great way to, again, stimulate, you know, human growth hormones, stimulate insulin, like growth factor, give your body that sort of like, um, signal that there's high intensity activity happening and it needs to sort of send in the troops to recover. Um, but you're not actually adding much in the way of, um, additional stress yeah very true yeah um i think i think one that we didn't really chat about was like active injuries so um what what in-season training might look like for for someone we talked about prior injuries that injury Mm -hmm. history um you know with people who maybe have these these things that creep back up on them a little bit as the season progresses on but um you know when people develop like a you know niggly type in-season injury you know what how would that influence things for you uh really based like on the injury what i'll do what i'll often do especially if it's some kind of tendon injury is talk about like how important the warm-up is mm-hmm. and program them some loading that they would do as a warm-up to then help their tendon through that like active skiing or snowboarding session Totally. Yeah. I think that that's such a good example, right? I think that's exactly where my mind was going oh, was, <laughs> was these, was these tendon, tendon things that, that tend to creep up, especially the knee quad tendon, right. Yeah. Um, or the patellar tendon. And, uh, you know, this is like a hallmark of like what tendons don't like are too much, too fast, too soon. Right. So, um, you know, the, the, kind of controlled lengthening of like stomping, uh, stomping a landing or like that, like really intensive elongation of like, you know, a back slap or, um, 
you know, even just like super like that, that repeated sort of stretch shorten cycle of, of like a really chattery bumpy run out or something. Right. Um, these are the types of things that tend to, um, really kind of pick on, on those, those quad tendons. Right. Um, and, and yeah, the warm up is just so, so important. And, you know, that could be the start of the day. That can also be like, um, you know, before you, you know, if you're on resort before you, um, before you drop in or, um, you know, if you're sledding into a zone, right, you get into the zone and you're like, oh, that was pretty active. It was a lot of work that Mm -hmm. I feel, you know, like I've, I've put in, put in a good (laughs) amount of work already. Right. But you haven't really prepared the quad tendons necessarily in, in, in this example. Right. And so, um, having some, some good options, to get those those tendons warm and so a good protocol that i like for 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 tendons is like um you know three by 30 second or four by 20 second sort of um, isometric holds so we get into a particular position so that might be like a um kind of like a forward heel tap where you're keeping your your kind of torso leaned back in line with your thigh but you're trying to reach your your knee out over your toe would be a really great one for the quad. Um, and with those, we'd always want to be like uh, sub-symptom threshold. So if it's like an active thing that gets a little bit niggly, if you push too far, you want to be sub-symptom threshold. And, uh, you know, something that's, again, we can sustain for that block of time. Yeah. And I find what's good about doing the isometrics is they can pretty much be done anywhere. So it's easy to incorporate as a warm-up. Totally. Yeah. There's, there's zero barrier to entry there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think then too, talking about the tendons, if we have an athlete that's a lot more poppy, like that's their style of riding, we don't have them doing power work as their, um, as their in-season training. They get enough of that outside of it. So that's why like the type of skier or border you are is important for us to know. Yeah. That's a super important consideration, right? We, we referenced that with like our endurance athletes we'd be biasing towards power stuff but with our you know popular athletes we'd be focused more on that sort of recovery piece right so Mm -hmm. whether that's um and and strength maintenance right so that they so they retain that sort of power through um you know whether that's that's like low volume high intensity um lifts or um, or BFR work just to sort of support recovery, depending yeah. on whether they're in like a higher volume or a lower volume mm-hmm. um, ski period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the last thing we missed that we'd consider too would be like the seasonal goals. Like, is there any big events, like any big things you have coming up that is kind of like your main focus or your main goal for that year? Yeah, totally. Like someone has like a, you know, um, like a, Himalayan expedition that's going to involve like or or like um, natural selection yeah like an NST type event or you know that's going to that's going to change both of those are going to have very different sort of training plans like um, leading into that um, that that's kind of adjunctive to the actual skiing and snowboarding itself right Um, I guess the other one like is is age as well right I think athlete age plays a big difference as well into um, how uh, what that in-season training plan looks like, both from like uh, a needs perspective, right? In older athletes, it becomes all the more important to maintain muscle mass, um, 
you know, because, you know, beyond, beyond 40, 50, and then again, beyond 60, um, we become progressively more tilted towards like the catabolic state, Mm -hmm. right? Where our body is breaking down faster than it's building up from a muscular perspective. Um, it's called sarcopenia, right? And, um, we can counter that, but we need to counter it with an appropriate, um, dosing and intensity of exercise. And so if we have like an older endurance based, you know, um, ski athlete, um, <clears throat> I'm going to tend to sort of a, in the off season or preseason, I'm going to be pushing a little bit more towards like, um, you know, hypertrophy and muscle building. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but even in season that may influence like how we approach their training. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. Um, Cool. Well, I mean, I think that was that was a really good summary of of, you know, all things sort of in season training. And, you know, as always, if you have any questions or or um, thoughts or, you know, want to share your perspectives with us, we're we're all ears. We'd love to hear from you. Um, You can email Don at the movement physio dot CA or Jess at the movement physio dot CA. Yeah. Thanks for listening in and stay on the move.